electronic device. We're going to be looking at the passage with us this morning. We're going to be in Luke 13, beginning in verse 22 this morning. Um, remember last week, um, as we were in, in chapter 13, the question was raised, like, what does the kingdom look like? Right, and as Jesus has, has healed, um, people are asking the question, what does the kingdom look like? And Jesus gives a couple of analogies. He talks about that it's like leaven, right? That it's, it's, it seems insignificant, but put in a large amount of flour, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leaven, right? It's going to change the, the composition of all of it. Or it's a mustard seed, right? That seems insignificant when it's planted, but eventually it grows into a tree that the birds can land and rest in, right? Find shelter and shade in. And then we have this kind of overarching question that's been running throughout Luke. Um, besides, like, who is this Jesus? Was the question that Luke is trying to answer is Theophilus, is who this is being written to, his question of why has there been opposition? Like, why has this been such a difficult thing? And, and what we're seeing as we work through Luke chapter by chapter is that, that Jesus is butting heads with the religious authorities. That opposition is occurring, right? That's going to culminate in Jerusalem at the cross, right? And, and we're seeing that tension build and build. And so this morning, we're going to pick up in chapter 13, beginning in verse 22. And he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, and he'll answer you. I don't know where you come from. And then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God that you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. And at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we have um, just kind of a continuation of, of some heaviness here. As Jesus is warning, as there's, it's really kind of prophetic even, as He's once again calling folks to repentance, calling them to trust and to see what is taking place. Right, We're seeing the opposition emerge. And what has occurred here is, is as He's been teaching, 
someone around him has asked the question, hey, so Jesus, will, will there only be a few who are saved? Right? And, and they're most likely asking that question for a couple reasons. One, they've seen the opposition from the religious leaders. Right? They've seen the crowds that are interested in Jesus, but not necessarily repenting and following him in mass. Right? They're seeing the, the, the difficulty of that. They've heard Jesus say right, that the mustard seed is what the kingdom looks like. It's going to start small, and so they're going, okay, so are a lot being saved or a few being saved? And there would have been teaching um, in Judaism at this time right, that would say that there would be very few non-Jews, very few Gentiles who will be saved. And so they're asking, like, God, what, what is this, what's this going to look like? What's it going to look like? We see the resistance. And Jesus, right, with resolve, has said, I'm headed to Jerusalem where there will be opposition, right, where I will be the suffering servant, where death will come. Right, we're beginning to see how it is that the cross itself is actually going to occur. Right? And so he, he refers even to Herod, where they're like, hey, don't, you can't go because Herod wants to kill you. And he's like, well, that fox, right? The fox being someone who um, is, is, seems ferocious, believe themselves to be ferocious, but are smaller than they are, right? But one who is also a destroyer, who is cunning and deceivious. He's like, like let him know I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing, right? Like, I, I'm not afraid of Herod. I'm, I'm trusting the will of God in this. And so what I want us to look through is, as we kind of walk through this passage this morning, is to hear the warning, to see what Jesus is kind of giving us eyes to see and ears to hear, and, and understanding that it is heavy in tone. But where I want to start is this, is that there are many in the crowds around Jesus right now who are going to miss Jesus entirely. A way that we have said this before is you can be Jesus adjacent, right? Around the things of God and yet miss Him entirely. And so look at what he says. He says, um, verse 25, Once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open it to us. And I'll answer you. I don't know where you come from. And they're going to say, hey, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in the streets. They're going to say, we were with you. We were around you. We saw you eating. We heard you teaching. Like, you did this with us. Like, you know us. And his response is this. I don't know you or where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. What he's saying is you can be close to the things of Jesus. You can be around the things of Jesus. But if you don't have me, then you're missing it. You're missing it. It is a sincere warning. Remember John the Baptist, when he stepped onto the scene, he told them, he said, you believe because you are sons and daughters of Abraham that that's sufficient? I tell you what, that he could, God can raise up stones to be the children of Abraham. Like it, It's not a divine birthright. You don't get it simply because of where you're born. They, there was a sense that, that salvation here was automatic. And he's like, it's not automatic. It's not your birthright. You're not just going to get it. Don't presume upon your ethnicity. And then he tells them, you're actually going to be cut off from the heroes of the faith. Listen, he's, look in verse 20, 28. Um, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? This is like the idea of like just emotional and physical 
torment and turmoil over the fact that they're seeing Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, like the, the forefathers of the faith and the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. He's like, you think you belong by, by ethnicity. And there's going to be a feast happening. And you're not going to be a part of it if you don't repent. You're going to see it happening and it is going to bring all sorts of struggle in you. Weeping and gnashing. Don't assume that you automatically have it. Listen, church, there is a danger and a risk for us in the Bible Belt of West Texas to be adjacent to Jesus and miss Him. They have a lot of knowledge, a lot of familiarity, right? And what this passage, what Jesus is telling them and, and, and us, right, is that familiarity isn't sufficient. Having some answers, knowing some stories is not going to save you. It is about a response. Right? What has Jesus already told them? I came not for the well, but for the sick. Right? I've come to, to seek and to save the lost, those who are aware of their need and who then respond. Right? They repent and turn to Me. They trust Me and they follow Me and they obey Me. And an exposure of knowledge isn't sufficient. It is submission. It is um, repentance. It is following Jesus. He's telling them it's not just outward, it's inward. You've outwardly been around me, but you're rejecting me. You're watching the show, but you don't want me. Church, he's saying, have you responded to me? Are you trusting me? Has your heart been changed from a cold and stony heart of sin that is rebellious and wants its own way, even if it can pretend on the outside? Or do you have a, a heart that's been stamped with my law, that belongs to me, that sees me as king, and you've bowed your knee to me? They've assumed that they're going to attend the feast. Right? So what's the feast that they're assuming? In Isaiah chapter 25, there's a beautiful passage. Beginning in verse 6, we see this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forevermore, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Right? There was this feast um, this, that has been presented in Isaiah in multiple places that you're going to get to come and eat and drink without cost because God's going to do it. And what He's telling them is that feast is going to happen. And you're going to see Jacob and Abraham and Isaac and the prophets and others sitting around feasting with God. And you're not going to be there because you haven't trusted Me. You're not repenting. You're not following Me. You don't belong to Me. And in the aftermath, you're going to go, whoa, wait a second, hey. And you're going to be beating on the door going, okay, we want it now. He's like, the time will, the time will have ended. The time of hospitality will have expired. It's important for us to note here that the door is narrow, 
Because the door, like all roads, get to Jesus. Right? And people want to say, hey, any path I take will get me to God. And you say, no, 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 no. There's one path. There's one path that will get you to where you're wanting to go, and it's Jesus. And so the door is narrow. Right? And the, it's a path, right? It's going to funnel its way to that door. He's like, so you've got to decide what you're going to do with me, which is why Luke is spending this whole time just holding Jesus up, saying, look at him, see him, behold him. Who is he? Respond to him, because in him is salvation. And apart from him is judgment. Right? And so Jesus, once again, is warning them, telling them, listen, repent, turn to me, see me correctly. He continues not just with a warning to those who are Jesus near or Jesus adjacent, but we see Jesus here lamenting. Right? He is sorrowful. Right? We see the depth and the anguish because they're not responding. And earlier, right, there was this, the imagery of, hey, I'm giving you some mercy and some grace for a short term, but the fig tree isn't bearing fruit. And if the fig tree isn't going to bear fruit, eventually it's going to be uprooted. Right? Jesus is lamenting the fig tree being uprooted here. That eventually, time does run out. Eventually, the offer of hospitality will cease. He's saying there is a real warning before you with real consequences. And it's, it's, it's really tragic that the opportunity to trust and repent will eventually go away. Right? He says, once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, he's saying, Eventually, I'm shutting the door. And you begin to stand outside and knock and say, Lord, open it to us. And you'll say, I don't know you. It's like the, right now the door is open. The opportunity is available. It is, right, it's here. Take it. There will be a time where it's shut. So for us, right, Hebrews 9.27 tells us, right, that death comes, it's appointed for all people, and then what? Judgment. And he's already told us um, earlier in Luke that we don't know the return. Listen to verse twelve or verse forty in chapter twelve, and he tells them, um, "You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." And and what does chapter twelve tell us? Comes after his return, judgment. And so there are two options for us this morning, right? You'll live long enough for Jesus to return, and then there will be judgment where you'll die before He returns, and then there will be judgment. And He's telling us that when those two things happen, that's when the door shuts. There's no more opportunity to respond. And so, you have an indefinite amount of time right now to respond. You know one of those two things is going to occur. Right? And so now you have to respond now to see that Jesus is King. He is Lord. There is still time, but it's short and it's indefinite. And so he's telling the religious leaders and the crowds and also us this morning, so don't presume. Don't presume on a deathbed confession. Don't presume because of where you're born. Don't presume upon your skin color. Don't presume that you just get to have me when you want. There will be a day where the door is shut. Right? And if you've been Jesus adjacent in that moment, you'll realize I have made a terrible mistake. And you're beating on the door and he says, Depart from me, I don't know you. Your exposure to me, your knowledge of me is not what saves. It's knowing me. It's 
trusting me. It's having bowed the knee of your heart. It's repenting and trusting me. So he told us earlier, right? So we settle our debt, right? As you're being drugged off to the judge, he's like, it would be wise to settle your debt. He's like, I'm here to settle your debt that you don't have to pay the fee. You don't have to pay the cost. I'm here to make you right with God so that you can be where you belong to be. And so a warning to the Jesus adjacent, a lament from Jesus as he is grieving, right? We see him say, um, verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, like he is longing, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you. Like, this is what I long for and I want. Verse 35, But behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so the third thing I want us to notice this morning, though, is that Jesus is beautiful. And as, although this passage is heavy, it's not all hard, difficult news. We are reminded in Luke that He came for the sick, for the needy, for the wounded, for the broken, for the despised, for the forgotten, for those who don't belong, who lack security, who lack peace, who lack hope, who lack joy, who lack love. He came for those to make things right, to bring restoration and a reversal. Look at verse 32. He said, Go tell that fox, talking of Herod, Behold, I cast out demons and I perform cures today and tomorrow. Right? He's saying, I'm doing the work of restoration and reversal. Healing your infirmities. Casting things out. Bringing the kingdom of God to bear. And letting the king of this world currently know that his, group, his grip is being loosened. Satan is on notice that he will be put to open shame at the cross. That he does not have the grip on the world that he thinks that he does. So church, it's why we celebrate this season. Right? That Jesus steps into history at the right time. Born of a virgin. Born under the law. To redeem those who are under the law. Right? He's come for us. To show us there is a way forward. There is a path forward to be restored and reconciled to God. He's like, and you can't do it, but I can for you, and then I'm going to ask you to follow me and to trust you, to depend that what I've done is sufficient. And I'm going to take you to where you belong, and you'll belong in the kingdom for eternity. So Jesus is on the scene doing this, and it's why we sit back and reflect and remember it this season with intentionality. And so he gives some maybe strange imagery that he says. Right? That Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, verse 34. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings if you weren't willing. But imagine the character here that he's saying. He's like, I wanted to bring you in. I wanted to bring you in and to hold you. Right? If you watch the hen do this, right? That moment, she is nurturing her chicks who are defenseless, right? She is making sure they are secure and safe, that she knows where they're at. She's providing for them and caring for them, right? And is in a defensive posture, right? And they feel snug and secure and safe and warm, right? This is you going to um, a grandmother or grandfather, right, and getting that hug that makes you just feel like, like you're, you're safe and secure in this moment because 
their arms are around you. Right? It, it's, it's that imagery of God saying, I see you, and I care for you, and I want you. I'm going to provide and protect and nurture. I want you close, and I want you secure. I want you to know that you belong. It is humble imagery, but it is powerful and beautiful imagery of God's affection for us. He's saying, come close and be secure. Look at verse 29. As He's told them, right, um, you're going to depart from Me, you workers of evil, because you haven't responded. He then tells them in verse 29, and people will come from east and from west, from north and from south, and recline at table and at the at the table in the kingdom of God. What is he telling them? He's telling them the feast is still happening. There are those who will trust me. There are those who will respond to me. There will all, are those who will belong and will enjoy the feast. The feast is happening. All peoples are going to be drawn. In Genesis 3, after Eve and Adam have sinned, rebelled, and as God is, is cursing them and the world is being broken, He tells them, though, there will be one who will come who will crush the serpent's head. And His heel will be bit, right? But He will crush the serpent's head. Right? The, the first hope, the first salvation, the first gospel found in Jesus. And then in Genesis 12, as the nation of Israel is begun, as its roots are beginning to be laid, right, in Abraham, he tells them, You're going to be a blessing in your people to all the nations of the world. Right? It's going to go everywhere. And so then we see in Isaiah 43, in Isaiah 49, in Isaiah 59, and in Malachi 1, just this constant reminder that God is gathering, right, bringing folks from east and west, north and south to himself. Right, he's saying he is doing what the hen is doing. He is gathering his people. But in 2 Samuel 9, you remember the story, David is, is now on the throne, right? Saul is gone. And one of Saul's boys, the, Saul the first king, Mahibosheth, right, was lame and crippled. And he's expecting to die. And the king is going to put him to death. Yet King David says, no, no, no. You have nothing to offer me. You are actually a son, right, of the previous king. But you can come and you can eat at my table and you belong at my table for the rest of your days, the rest of your life. That story, that imagery of, of David's mercy and grace is a picture of our life. That we have no, no right to be at the table. We have not earned a seat at the table. And we're actually lame, we're crippled, right? Deserving of death. And the king sees us and says, no, no, no. Here, sit with me. I'm not just sparing your life, I want you at my table. You belong with me. And you get it. Undeserved. Church, that's, it's the gospel, right? That we don't deserve at the seat of the table, but one has been offered, and Jesus is saying, I'm warning you, please respond, because if you don't, there will be a day where you will regret it. And so as he's gathering, I want you to hear, this is Psalm 107. And we're going to kind of hit some high notes. I would encourage you to, to write down Psalm 107 and to spend some time 
reading through it this week in light of Luke 13. But it begins with, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He's good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And let the redeemed of the Lord, right, those who belong at the table because of Jesus, not because of their efforts, let them say so. Look at verse 3. Um, for, because He's gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Right, We have the same imagery that He is gathering people. Now let the redeemed of the Lord worship Him. Listen to some of the descriptions now. Verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Um, look at verse 9. He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Verse 10. Some sat in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. But He bowed their hearts down. They fell down and with none to help. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. And listen, He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and their bonds burst apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for the wondrous works to the children of man. Right? Verse 17, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food. They drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. And it just goes on and on and on, going, saying, we were rebels and fools and needy and desperate. And when we cry to the Lord, He hears. And Jesus is Psalm 107. He is Psalm 107 in the flesh, walking amongst them, saying, respond to Me, trust Me, know Me, delight in Me. Find rest. Find joy, find hope, find life. And if you choose not to, there is judgment. But it's here for you. Take and eat. You belong. You didn't pay for it. You don't deserve it, but you get it. Trust me. Trust me. It's beautiful news. So he's saying, look at Jesus in the midst of the hardness in the midst of the judgment, in the midst of the fear of passages like this, he is saying there's a contrast because look at what you get. Trust me. You get me and everything that comes with it. And so, in John 10, verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Right? And so the imagery is this. He's saying, listen, it's narrow to get to me. There's one door to this salvation. There's one door to this life. There's one door to this hope. There's one door to this eternity. And it's me. But as you come in and go out, you are opened up into the kingdom of God. And there is rest, and there is hope, and there is joy, and there is pasture, and there is eternity. But there's one door, and it's me. Do you see that I'm beautiful? Would we delight in Him? So one final thing, a warning to the Jesus adjacent, a lamenting from Jesus for the lack of response from the religious leaders. Right? Beautiful Jesus who gives 
us what is undeserved, but is gracious to allow us to belong at the table. And the fourth thing is this. is He says, I want you to thus strive. Look at verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. If we just take that and miss the rest of the chapter, it sounds like he says, I want you to earn it, to work for your salvation, to get my attention. And this word strive here is the idea of an athlete working um, on their craft, someone in combat. Like There is intentionality and there's effort involved. You see this in 1 Corinthians 9. But the striving isn't for salvation. Right? The salvation is a gift. It's undeserved. The striving then right, is to rest in Jesus. We have to work to do that. Because what is our temptation even this morning? It's to find rest, like rest, like soul rest, in friendships, in naps, in holidays, in vacations, in security and finances, in good food, in peace of circumstances and relationships. Right? All of those that are gifts from God who give us a picture of a bigger peace. Right? But they're not our rest themselves. Because they all fade. Because... Lack of peace enters into relationships, and the holiday ends, and the food runs right ends, and you, and you're not you're not hungry any longer, and what looked so delicious earlier now makes you kind of sick because you've eaten so much and you've gorged yourself, right? Like those things are a glimmer of the good things of Jesus, but they're not Jesus. But we look at them as substitutes. And he's saying the work, the intentionality, the striving is to find your trust and your rest and your dependence in me. And to let lesser things be lesser things. We don't throw them away, but Jesus is first and foremost. Actually, there's nothing between you and Him. Hebrews would tell us that we don't drift into holiness, right? We don't just, right, Jesus saves us, we jump in the river, and He takes us right where we go. And he, we have to work upstream because this world doesn't love Jesus. And this world is not trying to disciple you to know and to trust and to depend upon God. It's pushing you in a different direction. And so we strive with intentionality to remember what Jesus has said when everyone else around us isn't doing that. And we work our way upstream to the kingdom where it actually does make sense. But until we're home, there's intentionality. And there's work. And there's effort. And there's striving. Not for your salvation, but it's evidence that you trust the Lord, that you have been saved by Him. Listen, it, it will not happen by accident. And when the question was asked, Lord, will it be a few who are saved? Did you notice He didn't answer it? He doesn't answer it directly. He doesn't give a number. He doesn't say a percentage. He doesn't say, yeah, it's only a few. Right? I want you to listen to this now. This is Revelation 7, verse 9. As John is having his vision of eternity and of heaven, he said, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation and from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There is going to be a feast, and there is going to be a crowd. But Jesus has told us it will be somewhat unexpected who's actually there and who's not there. 
that those who would have presumed are going to miss out, but that He is going to draw from every corner of the world, from the east and west and north and south, from those who would look like they have no place to belong, and He's going to say, they're going to be mine, my sons and my daughters, forever. This morning, would we, would we look at Him? Would we see Him? And would we ask ourselves, have we bowed a knee? Do we trust Him? Are we following Him? Or have we simply been near Him for a lot of years? We know some answers, but we actually don't know Him. And know that the hope of joy, of salvation, of mercy is available because you're still breathing. And He's yet to return. And that is an indefinite, short period of time until one of those two things will happen. So would we respond today? Would today be the day of salvation? And for those of you who are secure in your salvation, would you check your heart and repent of the things that you are seeking to find rest in more so than Jesus? Would we strive to find Him as foremost in our life? Let's pray. Father, thank You that even in in the most difficult and hard passages where You are warning us that there is so much grace and mercy and beauty that's undeserved, that's offered freely, God, thank You this morning that our hope is not in our ability to keep the law, that our hope is not um, in our ethnicity or where we were born or the, the faith of our parents or grandparents, God, but it's in You, that You have lived the life that we were supposed to, that You died the death that we did deserve, and that You have beaten all of our enemies. And You're alive today to hear our cries, and as Psalm 107 tells us, You hear our cries of distress, and You rescue us. For those of us who have been rescued, would we sing out and praise Your beautiful name and see You as beautiful and be reminded of that again today, God? And for those of, yet, those of us in the room who have yet to do that, God, would today be the day of salvation? Would you call, show them the door, and would they trust you? In Jesus' name, amen.